1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 14. The precious, authentic, sufficient, inerrant, matchless, wonderful word of God reads, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock, the rock, was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation hath overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. Something that the rich and the poor, the old and the young have in common is the fact that each battle and deal with daily temptations. No one is without temptation. Jesus our sovereign Lord and King, was himself tempted. No matter who you are in the sanctuary this morning, or what you do for a living, you too will be and are being tempted. The question is, is how do we fight temptation? And glorify God. 
The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he is writing to them at this point in this juncture in the text, warning them about idolatry and temptation. And the reason why at this juncture in this book he is doing that is because he senses and has sensed pride amongst the church. And any time we are walking in pride, we will fall to temptation and our idols that are produced regularly in our hearts will take control of us. That's why in chapter 10, verse 12, perhaps the the center of this text, the thing that pulls it all together, he says, therefore... Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he falls. He is warning the church of Corinth, specifically as we deal with this text in context, those who are stronger, more mature Christians, that they are in danger of falling, in danger of being disqualified, because they are not walking in humility. They were not considering their weaker brother. And as a result, he wants to let them know when you walk in pride, you will begin to believe some lies. And after believing those lies, you will be led astray eventually to your own demise. And he's begging with them as a pastor. He's saying, please, humble yourself. Please take heed. Please hear me, stronger brothers. Humble yourself before the Lord. Don't get so caught up in what you know. But remember that knowledge and love must be connected. The Bible says that Satan masquerades as a spirit of light. The Bible calls Satan the father or a father of lies. When we fall to temptation and when our idols are controlling us, it is always because we have believed a lie rather than standing on the truth of God's word. When I give in to temptation, it is always because that slithering serpent, the devil, has tricked me to believe something that is untrue. When you give in to temptation, it is always because that that serpent, in conjunction with our flesh, in conjunction with the things of this world, has led us to believe something that is untrue about God. The lies we believe take us further and further away from God. That's why James chapter 5, verse 19 through 20, talks about the brother who has wandered away from the truth. The church of Corinth had wandered away from the truth. As a church, they had become distracted by worldly things. Rather than putting their attention on the cross of Christ and the mission that he gave, they begin to be worldly in their thinking. They begin to think like the world, believing that God's power was not displayed in his cross, but in eloquent speech. 
They began to believe and to think like the world, believing that what was most important was not what Christ had done and how he had served us, but how we should be served. They began to believe lies. And in this text, naturally, as we look at the flow of this text, Paul exposes three things. The first thing is that he's going to expose is that as Christians, we need to learn from the past. The second thing that Paul is going to expose if we are going to fight temptation and not have idols control us is that we must know that idolatry is harmful. The third truth in this text that we can pull out if we're going to be victorious over temptation and not allow idols to control us is we've got to believe that By God's grace, we can overcome a temptation. But I want to take those three truths and I want to reverse them and I want to put them in in a format of lies because I believe that there are three lies that are exposed in this text that, that keep us in bondage. There are three lies that if we believe them will have us wander away from God and from the truth. There are three lies that Paul exposes through this passage that keeps us in the same routine and keeps us falling. The first lie is this. It's the lie that says experience is the best teacher. It's the lie that says experience is the best teacher. And and all of us have probably heard someone say that at some time. And many of us have believed that ourselves at one time, that experiencing something for yourself is the best way to learn something. And many times when we say that or when we hear other people say that, what's really behind that is As we're talking to someone who is warning us about something, we're saying, I know you experienced this and you're trying to warn me. Or I know what God's word says, but I don't have to obey God's word and I don't have to heed your experience or because after all, experience is the best teacher. I need to see if it's true for myself. It's a lie. And many of us are trapped and we're falling to the same sin, the same issue over and over and over because like the church of Corinth, pride has come into our hearts subtly and kept us from seeing the truth. Don't mind digging with me in God's word for a little bit? Let's look at the text. Lie number one, experience is the best teacher. He says... For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. So he's taking the church of Corinth back to their spiritual spiritual heritage. He's talking to Jews, but even as he's talking to Jews, he wants to remind them that the faith that they've received is is linked to a spiritual heritage. It's still linked to Abraham. And he says, I I do not want you to be ignorant, literally. I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, that our fathers were all under a cloud and all passed through the sea. What does he mean? They were all under a cloud. This is a reference back 
to the children of Israel being led out of Egypt. And the Bible says that a pillar of cloud, that God gave a cloud by day to protect them and to lead the path that they were to follow. It was a symbol of God being present with his people. He said all of Israel were under the cloud. And all passed through the sea. This is a reference to the Red Sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What does he mean they were baptized? Well, we know that the Red Sea opened and it split in half miraculously as God led his children through the sea. And he's using this word baptized, they were submerged. Now, he's not talking about a New Testament regeneration, uh, a symbol of baptism, but what is he saying? He's saying all were submerged into the leadership of Moses. Just as we new covenant Christians are submerged into Christ. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food. This is a reference to manna where God provided for Israel in the middle of the desert, food from heaven, spiritual food, food that was provided by the Spirit of God. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Points back to how God provided Israel fresh water from a rock. And he makes a New Testament connection saying symbolically that that rock represented Christ because Christ is the one who provides us with living water. Nevertheless, this is what he wants to get to. With most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So though most of Israel experienced God's grace, Though they experienced him leading them out of Egypt. Though they experienced him opening the Red Sea. Though they experienced him providing for them in the middle of a desert, fresh manna, fresh food every morning. Though they experienced him providing water from a rock. He says that God was not pleased with most of them. And they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, We want to remember that Paul in chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, was just talking about spiritual discipline. And he was just using an analogy of a runner and a boxer, and he had just told us that he had to learn to discipline his body and to exercise self-control. And if he himself did not discipline his body and exercise self-control, that he would be disqualified even though he preached to others. What is is the word saying to us? What is Paul doing? He's saying that many and much of Israel did not make it to the promised land because of a lack of discipline. Much and many of Israel, they died without seeing the promises of God in Canaan because of the lack of discipline. They were disqualified in the the wilderness, wandering for 40 years. 
because they didn't discipline themselves. Now, I don't believe that Paul is saying every single one of the persons who died in the wilderness is in hell. I believe that the point that Paul is making is that even Christians can experience God's judgment as believers because they are not looking and trusting Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says that. He talks about how they were coming together and they were taking communion, but they were not entering into communion with reverence. And he said, as a result, many of you, some have become sick and and even died. Paul is trying to Get the attention of the Corinthians, those who are mature, and he's saying, yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, you are forgiven, but you want to remind yourself that you too can be disqualified. You too can fall under the judgment of God and experience God's discipline because you're not submitting to him. And what is he saying? He's saying, learn from your forefathers. Learn from those who went before you. Experience is not the best teacher. Heed my warning and discipline yourself. Look at the next verse, verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Verse 11, now these things happened to them as examples, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of ages is coming. Paul is saying that God has given us the word and he has given us the Old Testament in order that we would see the examples of those who lived before us, heed the warning and not do what they did. So is experience the best teacher? No, God's word is the best teacher. Nia, come here. Yes, Daddy. I know I've told you not to touch a a hot iron, but I believe that you will best learn this lesson by going to this iron, putting your hand on it, and experiencing the pain. But yet, that's how the logic that some of us are using even now. You hear God's word, You have received warnings from other believers about things and the way that you're living. And pridefully, you conclude that I need to learn by experiencing it myself. No. Paul says that the Bible was given to us as an example. The Old Testament as an example so that we would know how to live. And he points to Israel. He says, look at your forefathers and how they became prideful when God was leading them out of Egypt. And look where they ended up, overthrown in the wilderness. Saying, heed the warning. If we're going to fight temptation, we must not believe the lie that experience is the best teacher. Harvard philosophy professor George Santayana wrote these famous words, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. 
history can teach us where other people have made mistakes as they met the challenges of life. And if we fail to learn from their examples, we too may fall when circumstances present us with similar challenges. Paul judged that the history of Israel provided many important lessons for the church. In fact, he goes on, and in verse 6 through 10, he gives specific examples of what Israel did while they were in the wilderness in order to, to warn the church of Corinth. He lays it out for them quite clearly. He says, uh, number one, they coveted food. They wanted a specific lifestyle. They engaged in idolatry. They committed sexual immorality. They tested the Lord and they grumbled. He's saying, Corinth, learn from their mistakes. Don't be covetous. Don't want something or set your eye on something that God has not provided you. Trust him and find joy in what he's given you. Don't engage in idolatry. Don't worship or serve something or someone in place of Jesus. Don't commit sexual immorality. Sex was made and designed for marriage. Don't go outside of it. Don't test the Lord. Don't Put God to the test. Don't tempt the Lord and see what you can get away with before he judges. Don't grumble. He said, learn from the past. So that young Christian who is fighting for your, your life in Christ, I want to encourage you to humble yourself and listen to those who've been walking with Christ for a long time. And when they speak gently and speak truth into your life, don't put up walls and say, I've got to experience it for myself. Ah, you lived your life, i got to live mine. But if they are showing you in the word where you are going astray and, and may fall, Humble yourself before the Lord and humble yourself before his word and look back at the examples that God has given. Learn from people like Cain about envy and anger and what envy and anger can lead you to do. Learn from the story of Ruth about what leaving the promises of God, the Bethlehem, the, the bread of the, the, the storehouse of bread, and going to, to Moab when things get difficult can lead you. Look at the example of Eli and learn about how when we heed the example of God's word about disciplining our children, how it will come back to bite us when we don't. Heed the example of of David and see that when God has called us to be somewhere and do something and we don't because of laziness and desiring comfort that it can end in disaster. Romans chapter 15 
Verse 4 tells us that as we think about God's word, that not only in the Old Testament, not only do we want to be mindful and, and look to it for an example of what not to do, but we also want to see it as an example of encouragement for what is written. What is for whatever was written in formal days was written for our instruction. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. God has given us his word. And God has given us the examples of the past in order that we might have hope as well. He's given us the example of Ezra and Nehemiah that we might have hope. He's given us the example of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we might have hope. We will find ourselves falling into temptation when we take God's word lightly. Some of us, we are struggling, uh, not even struggling, we are freely giving into temptation because we don't value God's word. And we only value it from a specific angle. We only run to it for verses that affirm us. But the word of God was not just given so that we can be affirmed and hear things that will just encourage us, but it also was given so that we could see it as a mirror and look to Christ for change and warning. Paul loves the church at Corinth enough to warn them that their perspective of experience is the best teacher is not a good perspective and that they must look to God's word and his example in the past. Number two, the second lie that we believe is that our idols are harmless. My idols are harmless. And this often leads us deeper into sin when we don't see our idols as hard. What is an idol? What is an idol? An idol is something or someone that we esteem more than God. And within our cultural context, sometimes, and I'm just saying that because that's just what I know, Sure, this is in every cultural context in the, in the West. We have a, a way of saying, oh, I love the Lord. He heard my cry. He is the most important person in my life. And we think that simply by saying that with our mouths, it means that it's true. God being preeminent and supreme in our life shows up by us worshiping him, by us giving him supreme worth. And that's shown through the way we prioritize our life. We worship what we spend the most time thinking about and giving our affections to. 
And if we ever want to know what's my idol, what's the thing that I'm really serving and worshiping, all we have to do is really ask our hearts some questions. What am I willing to to sin for if I don't get? Normally that falls into three, one of three categories. Pleasure, comfort, respect, or control. When we find ourselves sinning, it normally flows out of one of those three things. Why did you sin? Why did you do what you know God told you not to do? Well, because I wanted some pleasure. I wanted to feel good. I wanted the, the ecstasy of that high. Real talk, right? Or respect. Oh, I cussed that out because she was talking to me in a disrespectful way. So you use your words to tear down someone even though the, script, the scripture tells us that our words are supposed to build up because you felt like you were being disrespected. So what you are worshiping is the idea of receiving respect. We all do it. Or significance. Or control. We lie. We, we cheat. Because we, we want to be in control. And we believe That those idols and the things that kind of have made us up and and caused us to just react, that they are are harmless, that that God, maybe he doesn't really care about it. We say things like, God knows my heart. That's just the way I am. I've always been that way. But Paul is telling the church of Corinth that's not okay. He says that he said for his own life, he said, I discipline my body. That word in the Greek gives us a word picture that most theologians use. He says, literally, I give myself a black eye. It's a picture of anguish. It's a picture of working hard, of fear and trembling, so that I myself would not be given over to temptation and given over to idols. And even as we're working, uh, Philippians, Paul tells us in Philippians, our, our salvation out in fear and in trembling, the Bible says that it is God who is working through us, his will and good pleasure. So as Paul is disciplining himself, as, as Paul is practicing self-control, as, as Paul is looking at and looking for the idols in his heart that is causing him to sin and to fall into temptation, he is doing so knowing that as he puts his eyes on Christ, that Christ is going to give him the strength to overcome it. Our sin is harmful. Let's look at the text real quick. Verse 6, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Remember, we're dealing with my idols are harmless. That's a lie. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink, and they rose up to play. This comes from Exodus 32. The Bible says that Moses went on a mountain to be with the Lord, and he tarried up there a little too long. And rather than have patience and seek the face of the Lord and trust God while Moses was gone, they said, well, until he comes back, let's party. 
And this is a direct quote from Exodus. It says, in, in the book of Exodus, Moses wrote these exact words. That they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. What was their idol? Their idol was comfort and pleasure. They didn't want to tarry and wait on the Lord. He's getting at their impatience. And many times when we fall into sin, it's because of a lack of patience and because we don't want to tarry and wait for the Lord. In a fast food society, right? We want things quick and on our schedule and in a hurry. And here's the thing. If they had just stopped and thought about the past, they would have known that God was going to come through. He's the one who pulled them out of Egypt. He didn't do it right away through 10 plagues, through a series of events, but he kept his word. He pulled them out. He was the one who, once they were out of Egypt, who provided for them his presence and protection with a a pillar of cloud by day and and fire by night, which kept the enemy at, 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 at bay. And then when they got to their backs was to the wall, he was the one who split the Red Sea. He was the one who, when they were hungry and they complained in the wilderness, saying, Moses, has you not, has you not brought us out here so that we would die hungry? He, he provided food literally from heaven. Manna, what is this? He provided for them. Over and over and over and over again, he provided on his schedule, not on theirs. They worshiped comfort. Convenience. Continues. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. In fact, let's go here real quick. Numbers 25. Numbers 25. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Amen. And see what he's doing. He's pointing them back to the past. Point them back to the past. I'll read this real quick. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the, the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun. Before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So he kept the leaders accountable because they were allowing men of Israel to sleep around with daughters of Moab, Gentiles, without commitment. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses, in the sight of the whole congregation of people of Israel, while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation. He took a spear in his hand and went after the men of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the men of Israel, the women through their belly. So he had a a righteous anger. Under the law of God, because they weren't seeking to, to live under the, the Jewish law, he, uh, he took matters into his own hand. Then it says, thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. 
Nevertheless, those who died by plague were 24,000. Paul picks up here, and he brings up that there was 23,000 that died in a single day. In one day, 23,000 of those people died. What am I saying? I'm saying that our idols are harmful. And as Christians, we want to be careful to make sure that our pride is not leading us to justify why we are allowing sin to reign in our lives. And all of us have temptation. And your temptation is not my temptation, probably. Or maybe it is. My temptation is not your temptation, but the fact of the matter is is that God's word calls us to look to Christ for hope, to look to his word as an example, and to fight, to discipline ourselves so that we too won't be disqualified. And we've got to remember that we serve a gracious and a loving God who is faithful and who will provide for us and not settle for cheap imitations. I say it's tight, but it's right. Let your neighbor say it's the word of God. It's the word. It's in it. Amen. Just the mailman. <laughs> Let's continue. We must not put to Christ to the test, as some of them did, and they were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Wow. So the word of God is just not centering in. Paul isn't just centering in on sexual immorality, though he puts a lot of emphasis in his letters on that because sexual sin, it hurts us in a very specific way, and it hurts the people that's inv- other people that's involved. Amen? Some behaviors are, are more addictive and, and, and more harmful. But he also talks about other things like grumbling and complaining. And he's pointing to Israel in the desert how they were constantly grumbling, constantly complaining. And grumbling is a sign, ultimately, not that someone is not doing something right, but that we don't trust God. We don't trust that God is our shepherd and that he will lead us into green pastures. And we don't trust that God is sovereign enough to work through, for better or for worse, the person that our grumbling is aimed at. The Bible says, man, God is so sweet. Yo, he's so sovereign. He's so good. The Proverbs said, Proverbs 21, and one, that the heart of a king, the heart of the most powerful person in the universe is in the Lord's hand. And like the streams of water, God controls it and makes it to flow any way he wants to. So ultimately, when we grumble, we believe that God is not in control of all things. It's a learning process. But our idols are harmful. As a result of Israel's grumbling, the Bible says that he did send a destroyer. There were serpents. You can go home and read that. So our idols are harmful. Our idols are harmful. That, that sin that we are 
holding on to, that we are secretly indulging in and enjoying, it is harmful. Third lie that we believe. We believe the lie that I can't beat this temptation. I can't beat this temptation. I can't beat this temptation when I get paid to go and to just spend all my money on clothes. I can't beat this temptation. A certain itch comes around to not call Juicy Lucy or Freaky Freddy. I, I can't beat this temptation when I see the weed man. I mean, after all, it's from the earth. And everything that God made is good. I can't beat this temptation to overeat. I can't beat this temptation to sleep in every morning when I know that I should be up being productive, making plans, and seeking the face of the Lord. Look at what the word says and we're done. Last point. That's a lie. That's not the truth, amen? (laughs) Finally, he gets it, amen? (laughs) That's what I've been saying. That's a lie we believe, amen? verse 12. Let me go back to verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Look how much God loves us. God allowed these things to happen and these things to be encouraged so that those who are in the end of the age on the other side of the cross, that we may be able to go back to a written word and find strength and encouragement. So even while you are battling a specific sin, know that God has provided you with a picture of what losing to something and giving yourself over to it habitually can look like, but also what victory looks like. For every bad example of something, there's a a good example of God's grace. No. Temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This text teaches us that no matter what your temptation is, that God can give you the strength, and has provided everything you need to beat that temptation. And let me show you in this text real quick how you beat temptation based upon this passage. Number one, we need to see that no temptation is common to man. Other words, there is no temptation that is new to mankind. Other words, you and what you are facing are not an anomaly. One of the ways that Satan gets us to stay in our sin and to walk around the the wilderness for 40 years with the same sin is because he subtly gets us to believe that no one else understands. And no one else has ever went through what we're going through. 
And he has us in the dark dealing with a sin, holding it into ourselves, trying to just make it by without telling anyone else because we believe that, that, that this sin that I'm dealing with is, is, is not common. I don't care how freaky. I don't care how dark. I don't care how twisted your desires are. They are not new. The form may be different or new, but it is not new to mankind. The root of it, the undercurrent of it has been seen before. Satan is recycling his tricks, repackaging them, kind of like we, what we do with some Christmas gifts we don't like, right? We just kind of package it up for next year and we give it to another family member. Like, oh, this is so good. You went and got this for me. It's not new. It just was repackaged. So we understand that no temptation is common to man. You are not an anomaly. Number two, look at what he says. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your spirit. The second thing is, if we're going to be temptation, we must look to a faithful God. Look to a faithful God. When we give into sin, it is because we have believed the lie that God does not care about us. That God is not faithful. That's what we see over and over through the Exodus. Israel constantly, when they fail, is because they believe that God was not faithful. And the Bible says that God is faithful. He will provide. He will come through. He will give you strength. But we've got to fight against that lie. Some of us, we are dying because of our impatience. And in our Western society, it's easy to become impatient as we look at marketing, as we look at the world that has been created. But we've got to remind ourselves that God knows what he's doing, and we're not smarter than God. When we take things in our own hands, we're saying, I know better than God. But he's faithful. Even when we're faithless, he's faithful. It's important to remember that even when we fall, that he's faithful. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us of our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You hear that? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just to forgive, but to cleanse. We've got to put our eyes in our time of temptation on God. It is said that if a dog trainer wants one way, if he wants to train a dog, that the classic method of dog training is you take the dog, you take something that is going to draw the dog's attention. Maybe it's a piece of red meat. You throw the meat to him. The dog runs to the meat. He devours it. Touch the dog. Good job. Do it again. Good job. But at some point, the dog trainer is going to throw that meat out. He's going to let that dog start going. He's going to say the dog's name. He's going to say, sit. Look at me. Sit. Don't focus. Look at me. Sit. Don't. Look. Sit. And after that dog sits, the owner allows that dog to go back to that meat and reward him. Why? Because the trainer is 
trying to teach the dog to value the master's voice and not the slab of meat that he's being offered. In our time of temptation, we've got to keep our eyes on the master. And we've got to remember and remind ourselves that God is faithful. That's exactly what, what, what Jesus modeled for us in Matthew chapter 4. The Bible says that Jesus is affirmed by God the Father at his baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the Bible says that Jesus was led to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And while Jesus was in the wilderness, our Savior was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. He kept his eyes on the master. Every temptation, he went back to the faithfulness of God. And he reminded Satan that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. He kept his eye on the master. So I just can't beat it. I'm just saying, stand up, stand strong. Put on your whole armor. Look to a God who is faithful. He's giving you everything you need. Third, how is God faithful? He won't allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. You see that? And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Your temptation is never too big for you. Satan is telling you, this, you just can't beat it, it's too, it's too big. No, the Bible says you will not be tempted beyond your ability. Just like Job, as he stood before as, as Satan stood before God, seeking to tempt gold or Job or to test Job, the Bible says that God set a parameter for, for the devil. He says, you can only go this far. With your temptation, whatever you're going through, God has set a parameter, and Satan will only let it be so far. You can beat it. Stop believing the lie that you are an animal that is controlled by your instincts. You are a human being created in the image of God, saved by God, indwelled with the Holy Spirit. A son of the Most High, you can overcome it. Your anger problem, you can overcome it. Next, there's always a way of escape. But the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. It's always a way of escape. Whenever you are getting entangled, there's always a way of escape. But it starts with you trusting God and believing that he's faithful. It's always an exit sign. What's that way of escape? It's a number of things. One is the word of God. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee. It's standing on God's word. What's the way of escape? It's prayer. It's rather than you try to fight it in your own strength and sit there and say, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. It's you talking to God. God, give me the strength so that I won't do it. Help me not to act the fool. What's the way of escape? It's members of the body of Christ. It's you humbling yourself and saying, listen, brother, I need to talk to you and I need what we talk about. I need you to keep it on the low. I'm really struggling with something. It's humbling yourself. And letting a mature, trusted, godly brother or sister in Christ massage God's word and say, this is how we need to handle it. But we don't take that way of escape because 
surprised. Sometimes, all the times, it's the Holy Spirit giving you that nudge. You know that moment. You're about to do something you know you're not supposed to do, believers. And the Holy Spirit starts talking to you. Yeah, I think it's time for you to leave. Somebody else gets up. Oh, I'm about to leave. Yeah, that's your way of escape. You getting your coat said, I'm leaving too. Just like this building, look behind you, a church building. We have exit signs right here, exit signs over there. God has given you exit signs. But after you leave the sanctuary, there's another set of exit signs. Why? Because we're always being tempted. But God is faithful. He always gives us a way out. We fall to temptation because we don't trust God. Amen. Amen. That's my 50-minute timer, so we're going to stop right there. Amen. (laughs) Man, he's going on and on. Yeah, I I had that covered. Amen. (laughs) Even though there's more I want to say, let me not fall into the temptation of ignoring it. Amen. (laughs) God is faithful. Last part, that you may be able to endure it. You can endure temptation. You can persevere and not fall. God is for you. He's not against you. And anytime you think that that's not true, remind yourself Calvary's cross. At the cross, the God allowed an innocent man, an innocent God-man Jesus, to take the punishment that you deserve because he loves you. Even while you're struggling with this temptation or sin, you must remind yourself of the cross that if you're walking with Jesus, you, you, really, you really can't lose. Because he will see to it that you overcome by his grace. And while you're struggling and, and fighting and disciplining yourself, don't become defeated, but look to Jesus. Close with the scripture, Psalm 25, 15. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. My eyes are ever before the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. If you're here today and you are battling temptation, look to the Lord. Losing to temptation, look to the Lord. We're all battling. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, we want to invite you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You cannot resist temptation without Jesus. Your sins are ever before the Lord. You are guilty as charged. And if God so chooses when you leave this place, he can take your life and you will spend eternity in hell. It doesn't have to be that way. 
God has given us the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Jesus absorbs God's wrath on your behalf and he lets you go free. He indwells you with his Holy Spirit so that you will be a learner of him and learn how not to give into temptation. Trust in Jesus. Don't trust in your intellect. Don't don't trust in tradition. Don't, Don't trust in the fact you were baptized when you were five years old. Trust in Jesus. you're here today and you just need encouragement and prayer, the the pastors and the deacons are going to come up now to pray. Stand to our feet.